Electricast. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the SNSW Podcast, Michael Marcangelo, Joe Malkin, and Bob Kelly discuss the biggest takeaways from the first two weeks of the NFL, including the Patriots' last-second loss to the Seattle Seahawks and the Dallas Cowboys' last-second win versus the Atlanta Falcons. We also discuss our biggest worries about the Boston Celtics being down two games to one in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Miami Heat and discuss which team is for real and which team is heading home. But first, this episode is being brought to you by Boxo Crafts. BoxO is an arts and crafts focused kid subscription box. BoxO is a parent run company that combines creativity and convenience in one monthly package, delivered right to your door. BoxO's premier box, BoxO Holidays, contains four separate art projects to get you and your family into the holiday spirit. Whether it's Halloween, Hanukkah, or Easter, they've got you covered with holiday fun. BoxO, we can't wait to see you create. Check out BoxoCrafts.com and exclusively to our listeners, enter promo code SNSW for 10% off your first order. That's B-O-X-O-Crafts.com, promo code SNSW. The SNSW Podcast is also brought to you by National Voter Registration Day. This past Tuesday was the recognized holiday of Voter Registration Day, but that doesn't mean you can't still register to vote. Visit NationalVoterRegistrationDay.org to check your registration status, get registered if you haven't already, and learn more about the importance of voting. National Voter Registration Day is a day of civic unity. It's an opportunity to set aside differences, enjoy the rights and opportunities we all share as Americans, and celebrate our democracy. No matter who you vote for, make sure to vote. NationalVoterRegistrationDay.org If this is your first time finding us, please consider subscribing. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you generally get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Follow us on social media. All of our links will be in the bottom of our show notes. And now, without further ado, this is the SNSW Podcast. But it's all relative. Thanks, Craig, and welcome, everyone, to episode eight of the SNSW podcast. My name is Michael Marcangelo. I'm your host for tonight's episode, joined alongside Broadway Joe Malkin and the real BK Bob Kelly. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm great, man. How are you? Great. Joe? I'm doing well, hanging in there. Nice, uh, interesting week two of the NFL and a weird Eastern Conference final, but we're doing well. Yeah, and I think that's a great that's a great place to start. I think week two of the NFL, we saw a lot of things happen, but let's start with the New England Patriots' loss to the Seattle Seahawks, thirty-five to thirty. Just a little bit of information on that game. 
Cam Newton throws for almost 400 yards, throws for a touchdown, rushes for two more. They get, they get to the one-yard line with one second left and can't and just can't hammer that, uh, hammer that ball across the goal line. But I think the big thing, uh, James White, huge tragedy that happened before the game that was definitely weighing on, weighing on everybody's mind. So I think we have a lot to unpack in this game. Joe, what is your biggest takeaway from the week two game with the New England Patriots? It's interesting. I, I, I actually have two, but one is Julian Edelman's performance in this game. Um, I hope he got a good night's sleep on Sunday night and enjoyed a day off on Monday. Eight catches, 179 yards, a career high for him. Uh, my other takeaway is that this Patriots team is going to be for real, and they were enjoyable to watch on Sunday. It was definitely a, a different feel altogether in week two. Th- this whole season has been a different feel. There's been no preseason, which has caused a lot of issues, which we'll get to as well, Mike. But m- my biggest takeaway here is that they treated this like week four of the preseason, week three, week four of the preseason, um, and really put everything together that they needed to offensively. The defense was suspect, uh, but against a, a pretty good Seattle team. So, I was pleasantly surprised. I was very disappointed in Josh McDaniel's play call at the end of the game. It was the right play call at the wrong time. I so I couldn't agree with you more on that. And and I will we'll definitely touch on that play eventually. For me, the biggest takeaway was the fact that I think Bill lost that game. And, and that that goes right along with what you just said, Joe, when it comes to that play. And not only that, I think he lost that game without taking that timeout coming down on that big play down to the three-yard line. He doesn't take a timeout and lets that clock run down to nine seconds. Gives Cam Newton the best red zone quarterback I've ever seen. One play inside the five-yard line. One play. Yeah, but Bobby, I think like Bill has a track record of not taking a timeout uh, on the goal line in big situations, right? I mean, he did not take a timeout when Seattle drove down the field in, in the Super Bowl that we played them and just made Pico go, go nuts. That's that's in Bill's nature. But see, the problem with that is that he not only did he not take the timeout, and I, I don't necessarily blame him for not taking the timeout, but I do blame the offense for being lackluster, getting back to the line, mm-hmm. and them not spiking the ball. So I'm not sure that that's all on Bill. Uh, I wonder how, how much leash Bill is giving Cam and, and Josh McDaniels to run that offense. But I just, even, even out of the guys that have been in this offense for multiple years or a long time in terms of Julian Edelman, Sony Michelle, there just wasn't a lot of hustle back to the line to, to get that next playoff, no matter what they were going to do. But you're right, Bobby. If you're going to call that timeout, you call it immediately. I think they were smart to save it, but instead they didn't get back to the line and spike it. So I, I, I do hear what you're saying there, but I just think to me, the biggest thing from that game was the fact that Cam Newton took that game over. And that's, that's the, the, obviously the, the overall big takeaway from it is that Cam Newton is real. He's back. Bill has worked on this mechanics and he can, he can now throw the ball and is, is just the electric playmaker we remember. But how do you not give that guy four shots? He, he could have easily had two, three shots within the 10-yard line coming down to that game. Because I don't think he needed that many. So to, to go back to your, your – every time I watched him throw the ball, it had this weird trajectory – and it looked like he was throwing at 100 miles an hour, and he very well could have, you know what I mean? But this thing would come out, and it would hit this apex, and it would take this sharp downward, yeah. 
and I'm like, how do, how are you making? How is it physically possible to throw anything like that? It was so impressive to watch him to watch him throw. And you're absolutely right that he took over the game. And how awesome was it to see two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL? Even now, they both came out in the same draft, right? They they both came out in 2011. They are still now nine years later, both very dynamic and fun to watch, but. Bobby, when it comes to those four plays, I don't think they were ever going to get four plays in the red zone to, to win that game. But I also don't think they wanted to give him that many because they didn't want to leave any time left on the clock for Russell Wilson and that dynamic offense to do anything with it. So if you give the guy the right play, see, now, now and I, I don't want to make this comparison all year long, but it's only week two. If Tom Brady is under center in that situation – that we know that's not the play call, number one. Number two, they probably run the same play where they threw that touchdown pass to Jacob Johnson, which is why it was a good defensive play by the Seahawks to take Johnson out of that play in the fullback position because they were either going to knock him out of the play or get Cam in the backfield. So as much as it was an offensive blunder by New England, it was a great Seattle defensive stand. Can we also just talk about, like, so my biggest takeaway for this game is, like, can you at least just make it look like you're going to throw the ball on, on, that, on that last play? Like, can you just give just a sniff of a fake? Everybody knew Cam was running to the left. Now, I know that they, haven't, mm-hmm. they, they didn't stop him all game. I, I get that. But you have to imagine the last play of the game, when, when, when you're pretty much just telegraphing your, your play, you, you're, you're, you have a less likely chance of, of making that play succeed, right? So just – just, just fake somebody out of the backfield. Like, just do something. Give, give, give Cam a chance. Well, and, and that's just it. Is millions of eyes knew that that's exactly what was coming, right, Bobby? Especially from because they ran that play three separate times from that same exact spot throughout that game. It worked. I, I think it was two out of the three times before that. It did work. One of the times was almost a carbon copy of that last play, though. And I just feel like when the Seahawks knew that play was coming, they had no chance. Jamal Adams was in that backfield before Kame even got the ball. So, like, I, I just feel like that play call mixed with not calling that timeout. I know it's a crazy thing to say in New England, but I really think the coaching staff and, and, and take it from someone who is so critical about coaching staffs, because I've been through, I've been through some shit Bobby, with some coaching staffs. Bobby, I felt I've, like I was watching the Cowboys in that last couple of minutes though. Just because I really did though, just because of like, I, I was begging Bill to call that timeout. I was begging him like for you guys. And I just couldn't believe that he didn't and didn't give Cam a couple more shots within that 10 yard line. And he did put the ball in his hands though. So I'll give him that. You don't have to say that we know how critically you are of coaching staffs. So I've already called for four coaches jobs and it's week two. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so fair enough. Can we all, but can we all just agree? Another thing I wanted to discuss with you guys, because this is the OG crew and I, 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 lo- I love you. I love your takes. Is it not fair to say that the Patriots are better off now because of how well Cam Newton is playing than if they still had Tom Brady. Yes. With Tom Brady here, and, and again, I'll go, to, I'll go to you first, Joe. If Tom Brady's still the quarterback, you know, 43 years old, all the same weapons, everything is, is exactly the same. Do we erase that 12-point deficit in the fourth quarter against the Seahawks? I, I think there's a, an opportunity that it happens, but something you have to look at, and I, I said this to you guys during the game on Sunday night, one of the biggest differences between Tom Brady and Cam Newton, and I'm not saying again that Cam Newton is Tom Brady, but Tom Brady right now and Cam Newton right now 
Cam Newton doesn't put his guys out on an island when they when they do something wrong. I mean, we saw we saw uh, Nikhil Harry drop a pass in this game. Edelman dropped a pass in this game. Um, one of the running backs dropped a pass in this game. And at that point, Brady stops throwing to those guys. But you don't have you you, you don't have the ability to stop throwing. So what what does Cam Newton do? He throws to Nikhil Harry eight times. It's a career high. Eight catches, seventy two yards. He throws to Edelman. Eight catches, 172 yards. He he throws to Bird six times. Like we're we're talking about guys in especially Harry, who they've been trying to get into the offense for two years. You t- telling me Julian Edelman, who's been in the league since uh, how long has he been in the league? Oh, oh long nine. Time. Has his has a career high in yards in week two against the Seattle Seahawks and Cam Newton's his quarterback. So uh, agreeing with Mike's assessment here. They may erase the 12-point deficit, and I think the Patriots effectively did that because they were literally a yard away from winning that game and erasing that five-point deficit that they faced with, with nine seconds left on the clock. Cam Newton is right now, and I don't think that'll change because he was the same way under Ron Rivera in Carolina. Cam Newton wants to run the offense that is called, and if Tom Brady got that play call as the last play of the game, He's calling an audible and he's checking down 100%, a million percent. He's changing that play at the line. And that's what I like about Cam is that he didn't. Did they lose because of it? Yes, but it's also only week two and against a very good Seahawks team. You know what my favorite part about all this is? Is the fact that we are now talking about in week two of the NFL, if Cam Newton is a better quarterback for Bill Belichick than fucking Tom Brady. I, I, well, I think, that's, but, I think, but I think it's fair, right? Because we, had, is. we had a year of a, of a mid-40s, early-40s Tom Brady with this exact same offense, and we, saw, and we saw what he did. He threw to his guy. But I, I, to, to reiterate, Cam Newton is a better quarterback for the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick right now than Tom Brady. Oh, I'm, when, listen, I'm not saying I disagree with the point because I completely do. All right, I, I not saying I disagree. With completely the point. agree. I completely yeah. agree with the point because I think Bill loves this offense. I do. Bill loves this offense, oh. but it's just funny to me that that's where that's that's how fast Cam Newton has won over all of New England because of how amazing he has been. I don't know if he's won over all of New England. Sorry no. to cut you off there, Mike, but I, I don't think he's won over all of New England. I think he's got a long way to go for whatever reason it may be. But I, I think some people are still so stuck in the ways of Brady that it's going to take them a while. And what I love about this offense now, Bobby, and I think what Bill loves about it is it's fast, but it's almost fast in slow motion. Mm-hmm. You watch it and it's kind of like, all right, like it's, it's a Tom Brady pace with Cam Newton uh, ability. And, yeah. and I, I love that about it. And, and sometimes it gets really boring, but that's a Bill Belichick style. Be boring and kill him with kindness. Yeah, I think – so I think, like, just to touch on the point where you said – we're talking about Julian Edelman's, uh, you know, records, you know, career high in terms of receiving yards. That's because it takes longer for the place to develop, and Cam can buy them time. Cam's not just throwing, like, five-yard outs or five-yard slants. He's waiting until Jules is, like, 30 yards down the field, and he's already evaded, you know, two tacklers and two defenders – to, th- to throw him the ball but to that point like is it sustainable based on what you've seen so far between uh between cam all the punishment that he's going to take if he, if he keeps rushing the ball like this and jules he looked bang up banged up is this a sustainable offense 
moving forward. I, I think so. I, I really do. I, and the reason I say that is prior to last season, Cam Newton had missed six games in his entire career. And, and that, that may seem like a lot when he, you know, but between uh, 2011 to 2018, so those nine, eight, nine years, he only missed six games. And he's coming back. He clearly looks healthy this year, right? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about his health. I don't think there's any doubt about his physical ability. I think he's a big enough guy who understands now more than ever how to go to the ground, how to be tackled. And I think he's learning a lot of that while he's here in New England. He is going to be that much better of a player and be able to sustain his playing style and his tempo all year long. And if he's not, you know, we can, and Dave said it in the live show last Sunday when he brought up, you know, how we were all looking at Jared Stidham as the guy and now look at us, we're not even talking about him in a conversation. Well, I'll, I'll bring him up here. Worst case scenario, we have to go to Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham. And I, neither one of them are necessarily as uh, athletic or have the same ability as Cam Newton, but I think the style of offense is manageable because I think it's been simplified to a non-Tom Brady-esque style. Brady wanted to run the entire show, so he made the offense as complicated as he could for Tom Brady. Doesn't need to be that complicated, right? We've seen it. All right, so Bobby, I'm going to ask you this question because you are the, like the least Patriot fan of of all three of us, or all four of us that are on the show right now. After seeing what you saw on Sunday night, was this an acceptable loss for the Patriots? Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 I mean that wholeheartedly. Russell Wilson is absolutely the best quarterback right now in the NFL. I think, besides Patrick Mahomes, but let me let me back up a little bit. So besides, besides the best quarterback in the NFL, he might have the best wide receiver core in the NFL. That defense is awesome. They, I didn't expect the Patriots to have the type of season that they're having with Cam Newton. I think one of the biggest things is Bill Belichick with Cam and, and him bringing him around to the mechanics, him bringing around to really manage that playbook right around Cam. I think this is the most acceptable loss that we're going to see in the NFL this year. Just because of the fact that I didn't give them a chance in this game, and when it came down to it, they were right there on the one-yard line ready to beat Seattle in Seattle. Um, I, I see the Patriots probably rounding out at like 10-6, and 11-5 just because of this game, and that's not a projection I had going into the season. Joe, I'm going to add a layer onto this because you are one of the biggest Patriots fans that, that I know. Was this an acceptable loss, and is that just because of your expectations of the Patriots this year? I think it was an acceptable loss based on the opponent. Uh, if if they were playing Miami in week two, right? Yep. Which the, I know they played them in week one, but let's say they were playing Miami in week two or the Jets or, I mean, name name a middle of the road to a, a lower echelon team in the NFL. I think it was acceptable based on the fact that you're playing possibly the NFL MVP. I mean, that's what everybody around the NFL is saying already, right? Like they're, they're saying right now that Russell Wilson could be the MVP. They're not even talking about Lamar Jackson or, or Patrick Mahomes in week two taking that, that time. I mean, I, I have heard Patrick Mahomes, but he's the reigning MVP. So how can you not have that conversation? My, I think it's, I think it was acceptable because as I've said, they treated it like a preseason game. Yeah. This this is the end of preseason. The next 14 games are what you're going to see 
the what the Patriots really are. And something else that's that that's very encouraging is the low amount of injuries that have taken place for the New England Patriots in the first two weeks. I mean, they are physical, right? That offense has been physical. My biggest problem with this team is the defense. Bobby says 10 and six. I, I still think this team can go 11 and five, 12 and four, if they can figure it out a little bit faster. But I mean, that's saying that they only lose three more games and, and their, their schedule is pretty tough. So no, it's really tough. It's the right. You're right. It's the toughest in the NFL, right? Yep. So, it's acceptable because of the opponent. Uh, it's acceptable because of the time of year and the circumstances that we have in the 2020 NFL season. So I, I just I think it's going to get more exciting from here. My my two biggest worries are the defense and the receiving core. Yeah. So just to piggyback off that, I completely agree with that preseason third or fourth game take because I think this offense was exactly this was the offense that they want. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to Cam throwing the ball as much as he did, running that RPO, having that successful fake, um, being able to get the defense to bite on the left or the right side when it comes to Cam faking. Um, I, I think this is definitely the offense that they want to run. And to see that be as successful as it was, was it, it was a great sign for the Patriots moving forward, for sure. Because like you said, Joe, it, it's going to get more exciting from here because this is only this is the basement for that Patriots offense, in my opinion. I think the Patriots win this game on Sunday if they had James White. I understand the situation with him. I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like he could be, a you know, not Christian McCaffrey, but that kind of player specifically. And he's been that team. We've seen the Patriots team. That position's been a stalwart from when it was – you know, before James White, it was Shane Vereen. Before him, it was Danny Woodhead. Before him, it was Kevin Falk. That position is so essential. And I think Cam Newton running the offense that he did in Carolina for all those years, that's just going to translate hugely in the New England. Get it, Craig. Uh, one, one, Get, it, Craig. No Get it, man. Yes. James White has been uh, so underutilized towards yep. the back end of Tom Brady's career in New England. And I, I think that that is, is like career robbery to that guy. And I, I agree with you, Craig. And like you said, you have to put the disclaimer on it that, I mean, you could never see what, what came and, and hopefully, you know, uh, his mother makes a full recovery and, and, um, what God a bless his father's soul, but that, that is, and, and it's such a, it's such, you never know when stuff like that is going to happen. Um, you know, that everything moment, else that moment though that moment though where where McCordy picks off that pass runs it back to that video screen and just goes two eight bro we love you man we're yep. here for you like exact ex- goosebumps instant goosebumps so so moving on to the uh, the other NFL week two action obviously there was it was not a particularly great fantasy football day for 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 the host here uh, we had some horrific injuries you know obviously Saquon Barkley Nick Bosa Anthony Barr Bruce Irvin Cortland Sutton, Malik Hooker, all season-ending injuries on top of CMC, Sterling Shepard, Jimmy G, Drew Locke, Paris Campbell. I mean, the list just goes on. But there were some great moments. The Cowboys erased a 19-point deficit, recovered an onside kick to beat Atlanta by one point. And we also had the game last night. We had the, uh, the, the Las Vegas Raiders just absolutely destroying i'm going to say it the new orleans saints so bob i I have a sinking suspicion i know what your biggest takeaway is what is your biggest takeaway from week two of the nfl so i promise i won't spend 
I, I won't spend the, the rest of the show on this, although I absolutely could. No, because I I, hey, I, can, can I preface listen. something real quick, Bobby? Go ahead. Can Go I ahead. preface this? Absolutely. I told you they were going to win this game. I just, I, 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 there, there is evidence of it that I said in, in our Slack conversation. You did. You did. The Cowboys are going to win. You did. And, and you know what? You're not the only one who, who did come at me with that. So I will admit, so that first, so, all right, I'll set the stage. I woke up in the morning to a text about Tyron Smith. He was out. And honestly, this felt like Groundhog Day over and over again to me. It was week two. All of a sudden, our, big, our best offensive lineman is out. We already lost our two linebackers. We're facing this great, not great. We're facing this Atlanta Falcons team who have a good offense, terrible defense. It just, it felt like one of those days for the Cowboys. And then my nightmares were realized in that first quarter where we went, I just want to let you know, five straight possessions, fumble, we recovered it, fumble lost, a fake punt turnover on downs, another fumble loss, and another fumble lost. We lost three fumbles and a turnover on downs within our first five possessions. And it, was only, and it was only 20 to nothing at that point. And, and I'm telling you, that was a positive score. I thought this game was about to be 35-42 to nothing by the end of the half. I literally had turned to Katie at one point in the third quarter and was like, let's go to the store. This game is over. I, I, on my life, I, I was done, guys. I was so done. And the turn of events that happened just is something that I, not only did I not expect, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a, I'm a pitiful loser Cowboys fan, but I just did not see this coming at all. And Joe, I give you all the credit in the world, man. You really, <laughs> you really did see it coming, and Dak Prescott brought them back. I have to say, that was the best slash worst onside kick I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, what I don't understand about that is why didn't the Falcons pick it up? Why didn't they dive on it? I mean, uh, were, were they worried about the English on it? Did they forget the rule that only the team kicking it has to wait for it to go 10 yards? Like, I, I think it was the English. That's what I think yeah. it was. And that's the only thing I could think is they didn't want to be the one to fuck it up. And, and because of that, all of them fucked it up uh, because not a single person jumped on that ball. And, my one takeaway from this entire game is I'll sum it up right here is Dak Prescott. I know he gets a lot of shit and I know, I know he is not the prototypical NFL quarterback, but that man is a fucking, I, I don't even know don't, how to describe it. No, no, he's not, he's not. And that's why hey, listen, I he's a competitor. Myself. No, he's a competitor. I, I, that last, that last football, that last quarter of football was one of the best football quarters I've seen from him from the moment he came into this league and he took that game over and he was not going to let them lose that game. He so really just, wasn't. He no, wasn't going to let McCarthy get in the way. He wasn't going to let anyone get in the way. But I don't think McCarthy got in the way. I think that's part of the reason why he won. I think the fact that he didn't have Jason Garrett on the sideline is why he was able to do what he did. And before you go, Joe, I think we should talk a little bit more about this because this is Bobby's takeaway. Was this a miraculous comeback? or yet another choke job by the Atlanta Falcons? Oh, come back. 100%. Because, and, and uh, Bobby, I want to take it because I feel like you're going to put the Dallas emotion into it, but I'm going to give you some I want to hear Patriots it. I Super hear Bowl it, against the Falcons energy. The Cowboys screwed this game up in the first quarter. They had four fumbles in the first quarter. It was 20 to nothing after the first 15 minutes. And then the defense, the defense figured it out after that point. They only allowed 19 or, 
Yeah, 19 more points after that, which seems like a big number, but you allowed 20 in the first 15 minutes. And then they all kind of figured it out right there in the second quarter. And it was going to take a while to dig out of that hole. Now, the that Atlanta team is not what they were in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, but I don't think they expected to be up by three touchdowns after the first quarter. So this is why, to me, it's a Dallas comeback, not an Atlanta crumble, because the, the Cowboys really did nut up and figure it out. And in the fourth quarter, I mean, they not only got plays from their defense, but they had Dak step up, make the plays he needed to, and they had Greg Zerline execute one of the best onside kicks I've ever seen. I love onside kicks. You guys know how I feel about kickers. I love kickers. That was the best onside kick you'll probably ever see. It was unbelievable to see. I I saw the messages from everyone moments. So because I have like a behind stream, I saw the messages from everyone moments before it happened. And I honestly, it like took me a second to realize what was happening. <laughs> and and I swear on my life, I did laps up and down this house for at least five minutes. I was like, oh my God, what, what is even happening right now? Because just the way that game went, I agree with you, Joe, where it, it really was a Cowboys comeback. And, like, I, I'm not saying that from the Cowboys fandom in my heart because I really do think in normal factions it would be the Falcons blowing that game. But to see that Cowboys offense start clicking like it did, it it just gave me – it. I had a wet dream that night because of the Cowboys. I'm not going to lie. I, I So, CD anyway, man, my takeaway from uh, it too, uh, I'm sorry. Listen. Yeah, no, Joe, 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 your takeaway. My takeaway is that this league is going to be shaken up more now um, than we may have thought it was going to be. You mentioned all the injuries around the league. I, I, of course, the Saquon injury is huge. The CMC injury is huge. And I don't mean to, to disparage their injuries or well-being, and I don't mean that when I say this, but how good were the Panthers and the, and the, the Giants going to be? I think the Panthers were actually going to be better uh, than we all gave them credit for, but the Giants, the, the Giants aren't there yet. They'll get there, but they're not there yet. But the San Francisco 49ers, Nick Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, Solomon Thomas, and those are just the notable injuries uh, for that team. That, they're in trouble. But another takeaway just from that game, the New York Jets suck. They suck. They're, They're awful. Bad. They're really and, bad. And I, I am still where I said it earlier. Here I am calling for for the jobs of, of NFL coaches. I'm not one for people losing their jobs, but Adam Gase is a terrible head coach. Terrible. Uh, I, in fact, had a, a conversation with someone yesterday. Well, who would you rather coach in the New York Jets? And I, I said, Rex Ryan. And he laughed at me. And I said, why would you want Rex Ryan? And I said, well, Rex Ryan brought them to two AFC championship games back-to-back, back-to-back wild card years. Oh, well, he had a, a, an under 500 record. He was 61 and 66 when he was there. And Adam Gase is currently uh, 27 and I can't remember his exact record, but he's, he's under 500 too. And somebody, the, the same guy said, well, are you saying Rex Ryan is a good coach? And I said, when he's compared to Adam Gase, absolutely. Adam Gase is a creating a dumpster fire in New York. He just lost Le'Veon Bell. Um, he's ruining a quarterback, yet another quarterback. And I, I just, to see the 49ers continue to dominate the Jets after losing their four biggest pieces 
was just it was it was laughable yeah um i think that that speaks more toward like you mentioned that 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 domination of that game was not because of the 49ers i think you hit it right on right on the head joe that's because adam gase and the new york jets are are awful and like that comparison that you made about rex ryan at least he was building towards something Mm -hmm. right he did all of that they had a lot of stars in that team jason taylor you know lt but mark sanchez is not a good quarterback no he looked no. pretty good for those two years, especially coming from a Patriots fan. Uh, th- th- he looked pretty good. So but we, we've seen bad quarterbacks win Super Bowls or below average quarterbacks. I mean, Trent Dilfer has, and that's what I always default to when we ha- when I have this conversation is like Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl ring. Um, so you can win a Super Bowl with a bad quarterback, not necessarily anymore because I know that that was the early two thousands. Um, and you probably weren't going to do it with Mark Sanchez then, but that that then speaks to how I think of the organization down there in in New York when it comes to the New York Jets because I think the organization as a whole uh, is is not good. Can I tell you what my what my big takeaway was? Absolutely. The Lions are zero two, and they're still going to win that division. I disagree with you. Have you? I couldn't yet? disagree with you. Hang on a second. We all watched the yeah. Bears play Listen. on Sunday. And the Bears be and I, again I know they beat the Giants by four and the Bears aren't the most uh, they're exciting to watch but they're not the most exciting team to watch if that makes sense they were the I I don't think there's any way you can say the Lions win when not only do you have the Packers playing well beating doubling up the Lions you uh, forget the forget the Vikings I think the Vikings are going to finish last in that division they're they're just rough. And then the Bears are going to finish second in that division. I, I think the Lions finished third there. I just don't know how you can still say they're going to win. Yeah, Mike, literally one of my – so, like, I have three main full NFL takeaways, and one of them, just for you, was that the Lions are absolutely one of the worst four teams in the NFL. And there's no doubt about that in my life. There's, there's no doubt about that, man. It's not even close. They have a lot of offensive firepower, dude. They're going to figure out the defensive. I don't, I don't know if Patricia is going to be there. I, I will concede this. I don't know if Patricia <laughs> will be the coach when they win the division, but the Lions are going to win the division this year. I think if, they, if Matt Patricia goes, which, again, hate calling for people's jobs, but Adam Gase and Matt Patricia are probably the first two to go, if there are two to go, and – I I would agree with you more then that if Patricia were gone and they brought in I don't I don't know they can bring Steve Mariucci out of the out of the booth if they wanted to and bring him back it, they they would have a much better chance because that Lions team has so much talent and if they can get Kenny Galladay back which it looks like they're probably going to have him back this week with Carryon Johnson Matt Stafford is still a good quarterback that that will be when they have an opportunity to win win the division. Okay, so I aren't the besides big- besides my Cowboys takeaway, I have one question for you guys, real quick. Out of all the surprise two and O teams, so we have the Raiders, the Bills, we have the Rams, Bears, and Chiefs, Cardinals. Who's the most legit out of all those surprise teams? I I I, I was going over this today, and I couldn't believe that those teams were two and O. Who do you think? is the team that is going to be at the end is going to be there competing for the actual championship. The Cardinals. Whoa. All right. So, so there we go. I like it. All right. So I, I think the Cardinals, because I, I think that uh, Kyler Murray is, is great this year. I think that Hopkins is exactly what he needed. He is like uh, Fitzgerald in his prime. 
just a little bit better, right? He has a target that he knows he can throw to. The team's gelling. And in our NFC prediction show, we all took the Cardinals high at like 9-7, and 10-6. and six. They have that talent. I, but, but I also think sneakily, the Raiders, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah they are. John Gordon is, is a good head coach. Oh, geez, don't tell DK, Dave that. DK's going to be – He's gonna cringe in here. He's gonna show up in here. He's gonna he's gonna have his ears ringing and show up in the Zoom call. No, listen, I I agree about the Raiders. I think Derek Carr. Um, I I may have been wrong about him when I said in in the the AFC uh, prediction that he was a bad quarterback. Um, he looks like a man reborn this year, and I don't know what it is. Josh Jacobs helps. Um, Darren Waller. Might Sneaky be the best tight end in the NFL? And I'm saying that when he's in the same division as Travis Kelsey. Um, might be the best receiving tight end in the NFL. He's built like a wide receiver. He really should be an outside guy. but He's as fast um, as a wide receiver. For he sure. is. He's so fast. He yeah, almost won great. me a, game, um, a fantasy matchup last night, too. Um, you know, I look at the AFC. So let's, let's break this down to my standpoint. Like the Titans 2-0. Uh, Ravens and Steelers I kind of saw being 2-0. and Chiefs I saw being 2-0. The Bills, I, I did see being 2-0. I don't think the Raiders are going to hang around at the end. Uh, I think in the AFC, the Bills will hang around. I mean, we could be looking at an AFC divisional round where we have the Bills, the Patriots, the Chiefs, and the Ravens left. That's that's kind of see how I could see that going. Um, in the NFC, I get it, Mike, why you would say the Cardinals would be there at the end. Kyler Murray scares me, though, because of how mobile he is. I mean, he's so fast. He's so shifty. He's burning safeties. Uh, it, he's just he's, quick. His feet, move. His feet move so fast. It's but unbelievable. I wonder, but I wonder if he can read a defense to the point yet where he doesn't need to use his legs. Like, are, are we looking at a, a, similar, a similar situation to Lamar Jackson where they didn't finish it this is where mike likes the paper champions like are the cardinals the paper champions where we look at them and say all right they got deandre hopkins they have kyler murray they have a sneaky good defense but can they put it together at the end with a mobile quarterback um who hasn't yet gotten there i i I mean just, just to be clear the paper champions take was because you guys were just touting how great the ravens were because they won so many games and then when they got to the playoffs they lost. They, yeah, they... but the, the Patriots had great teams that got to the playoffs and lost. So, I mean, we're but we're also talking about a first-year quarterback, right? So, I could say the same thing to you about the Cardinals. Oh, oh you mean yeah, last yeah, year? Yeah, last year. I could say the same thing to you about Kyler Murray. Yeah, he's a second-year well, guy, yeah, yeah, right? But, yeah, but the expectations for the Cardinals this year, I don't think were quite as high. Oh, not even as close. What the, as what the Ravens were last year. I mean, Lamar Jackson was unproven, but – John Harbaugh is, is a is a is a great coach. So we just knew that they were at least going to go nine and seven, right? That that was the expectation. Yeah, and I mean Cliff Kingsbury is no is no John Harbaugh. That's right? correct. So we we all know that for a fact. But I, I I don't know. I look at that NFC, and I think we've all said it that the NFC is going to kind of be a, a dumpster fire this year. But at the same time, like we talk about that Saints game last night, I thought the Saints still played well. I, I just don't think they expected Vegas to play as well as they did. Um, uh, but I, I still like that Saints team. I like the Buccaneers. I think the Packers are the real deal. I think Aaron Rodgers is is back. I think they. I I do. I think they. Mike. I, I think that the the that hurts drafting. My I I know it does. But I think the drafting of Jordan Love actually helped 
Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers figured out. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like breaking up with Olivia Munn again, right? So now he's got to figure out his life. So the Cardinals 2-0, the Rams 2-0, the Seahawks 2-0, that's going to be a competitive division because if the 49ers can get at least Garoppolo back, at least then they, they have a guy to keep them, them competitive. So I, I think of all those teams, Mike, this is a, a long way around to get back to. I think the Bills are the most real deal surprise 2-0 team. We might have been all wrong with the Rams. I mean, it's only I, two games in, and I, I, I love me some week two overreactions, but they actually look pretty good. Now, I'll, I'll, before yeah. I go to you, Bobby, they beat Dallas on just, their, on just their scripted plays. Dallas could not combat the first possession of the game or the first possession after half. But yeah. after that, they were, they were pretty good. I'm with you on the Rams take, man. I think the Rams are really good this year. I think their biggest problem is depth. I think once we get to week 10 or 11, if they're still healthy, the Rams are real. If they're not, that that's their problem. Is it once they hit that injury bump, what's going to happen to them? We saw Cam Akers go out this week. We never know. To me, the the Raiders are the team that stood out to me as that surprise two and O team. You guys touched on that a lot. I was watching those highlights today. I have never seen a defense try and punch a ball out or give that extra effort like I saw the Raiders defense give in that game last night. That was every single play. There was a player standing over a Saints player just literally throwing haymakers at that ball. Well, it's like that old Raiders defense we saw in the early 2000s, right? Right. That's that's the type of defense to me that can take a team that's, that's not supposed to go places and bring them places because when a defense makes plays, that's the biggest momentum turner to me in an NFL game. When, when there's that big interception or that big fumble or whatever the case may be, that's the thing that turns that, that tide. And when it comes to David Carr, a lot of people do forget how good that guy was two, three years ago before he broke his leg in week 16, and he wasn't the same after that. So to me, I feel like this is the David Carr that, that actually right that actually is the the quarterback that who he actually is and isn't second guessing himself like we saw Gordon Hayward do in the NBA like we saw a lot of people do when it comes to massive injuries and actually take them to that next level. I think the Raiders are my – that's my surprise team that's going to take it to that next level. So the only thing about the Raiders is is they've scored 68 combined points. They, they've scored 34 in both of their, their first two games of the season. They've played two pretty good offenses. The, I mean, the Panthers aren't a great team, but good offense, right? Um, well, hold on. Like, aside from McCaffrey, are they really a good offense? I, I think Teddy Bridgewater has played better than people expected him to. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I don't think they're going to turn it around and now go 14-2 and two without CMC. I mean, that's just not going to happen. But what I'm saying is the Raiders have only outscored their opponents 68-54. Uh, to 54. So it's it's by two touchdowns. So let's see what they can do with two. They actually – they I mean, their schedule is ridiculous over the next four weeks. They come to New England, then they go home to face the Bills, then they go to Arrowhead – and then they're home to face the Buccaneers. Like, let's see what the, where they are after week six. Yeah, they could be two and four by that point. I mean, yeah. that's true. So before we switch gears to the NBA, we're going to start something new on this, this week's episode. It's going to be the Forrest Gump Award. Now, before we go into it, I want to give everyone a little bit of a rundown of what that is. We decided that we were going to award one person. Uh, each of us are, are, are all going to have our picks of the weekly Forrest Gump Award. Forrest Gump, as you know, is a great, great person, did a lot of great things, but he also did some pretty ridiculous things too. So with that in mind, 
Craig, this is going to be our first ever Forrest Gump Award. What's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell me, drill sergeant? God damn it, Gump! You're a goddamn genius! That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. You must have a goddamn IQ of 160. You are goddamn gifted, Private Gump. So after week two of the NFL, who gets your Forrest Gump Award? My, my choice is absolutely uh, the special teams coach of the Dallas Cowboys, um, I, Jeff Fossil. Uh, he pulled two of the worst calls I've ever seen in my entire life. In that first half, he went for two fake punts in the most ridiculous situations I've ever seen in my life. The second one was unforgivable, unforgivable. However, he is the sole reason that we ended up coming back and, and having that miracle win. That onside kick was completely him and Greg the Leg, Legatron, as we like to call him in Big D, even though this is his first year, but you know. Um, as we like to call him in Big D, that onside kick made up for any bonehead decisions that anyone could ever make. I've never seen a more miraculous thing in my life. If that doesn't describe Forrest Gump, I don't know what does. My Forrest Gump award winner for this week is none other than Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn. He, you know, he had a really tough decision to make with everything that happened with Tyrod Taylor. He put in Justin Herbert, who played an incredible game against an opponent that they had no shot to beat. They took the Chiefs to overtime. That is a great, great story. But after the game, he said there is a reason why Justin Herbert is a backup. So Tyrod Taylor is going to start. So you did something great. You had this young kid come in and play lights out. And then you say, and I quote, He's a backup for a reason. You just can't do stupid stuff like that. Joe, your turn. All right. I, I was going to go hometown and, and give it to the to Josh McDaniels, uh, but I, I'm going to switch gears and give it to Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, for. It, I'm not even going to give you a positive here. I'm just going to give you the negative. Because <laughs> <laughs> that Vikings team – is bad. Like Dalvin. All right. So here's the positive. Dalvin cook is so good and so dynamic. And I, I think that he's going to be the reason why they succeed. If at all, Kirk cousins played like it was his first game in the NFL this weekend. And I, I couldn't believe how bad it was. Kirk cousins to me this year is the biggest disappointment in the NFL uh, to see, to see what he was last year. And, how bad he has really been in these first two weeks of the season. Last game was that was atrocious. Like, what is he doing? Man? He is he is our well. I guess there's some overlap there, but he is the new Jay Cutler. He's never won anything, and he gets paid a lot of money to win nothing. He he is not okay. He's a good quarterback. I promise you. I hope everyone that's listening today record this. Take a note. He will never win anything in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, it, it was just I, – I honestly thought going into this game against Indianapolis I, I, that I said it in our, our prediction shows that Indianapolis was going to be a good team. Uh, Rayshon had them winning the AFC South. I had them finishing third, but I had them having a, like an 8-8 eight and eight record. I think this Indy team is for real, and I, I can't believe that they only allowed 11 points to this Minnesota team. I mean, maybe we're wrong. Maybe Mike Zimmer is the guy that needs to go. You know, and it just 
It was so bad yesterday. He was 11 of 26 for 113 yards and three picks. And all three of those picks came in the second quarter. Yeah. Yeah, he, so. he's, he's not good. I told you, he'll never win anything. <laughs> Moving on uh, from the NFL to the NBA. Obviously, the Eastern Conference Finals are in full swing. Game three uh, was... Obviously, the uplifting game for the for the Celtics. The Celtics are down two to one against the Miami uh, against the Miami Heat. I, I have a couple of questions. I'm going to turn it over to Bobby to start off with. Was the game three victory against the the Heat? Are those the real Celtics? And can that continue to game four? Bobby, go ahead. I mean, that's that's the question that everyone's asking, right? I mean, the the game three Celtics were a completely different team than we saw that game one and two. Um, they played their game. They played it throughout. And because of that, they were able to come away with a comfortable victory. We know the Celtics are the better basketball team. We know that when they execute, they are better. We've seen it through game one, game two, game three. Anytime we're executing, we're up by 14, 15 points. Um, and, and as soon as the Heat... I don't know what it is they do, whether it be great coaching. Uh, that, that zone does, does mess with our heads. But when we're playing our game, we're obviously the better court on the team. And if we see that in game four, I think we're going to see the same thing out of game three. But it, it's just a matter of, are we going to finish? Do we play a full 48 minutes of basketball? And that's, and that's the question that every Celtics fan is asking themselves. I think yes. Um, but only time will tell that, to be honest. I, I, I really wish I could give a take saying, like, yes or no. But, like, what I've seen game one, two, and three, I just – I really don't know. I really don't. I was going to say, is the reason that you're saying that, Bobby, is because in the first two games of this series, the Celtics blew not one, but two double-digit second-half leads to, an, to a team that, again, if you guys listened to last week, I said the Heat were for real. They scare me. I couldn't really quantify it or measure it, but now I can. It's because their zone defense stifles the Celtics, and they're all, they are all good perimeter shooters. Every single one of them can hit a three. And Crowder, not my guy. I, I do. I, I kind of like his his like his grit, but he hits some pretty clutch shots. And also Dragic, that man shoots forty three percent from three when contested. Yeah. It, it, I, Mike, when you when you said that this Miami team was for real and it was a team that you were scared of, I, I agreed with you and I understand why. But what is encouraging is we're – and I know it's the Eastern Conference Finals, but they lost game one and game two by a combined eight points, game one of which was in overtime, and then won game three by 11 points. I mean, we can look at we can look at numbers as much as we want. The zone defense is something that the Celtics have to figure out. The perimeter shooting is something that the Celtics have to be able to defend. Their wings are fast, Mike. So even like like you said, I mean, we, you and I have have uh, jumped on that bandwagon uh, this whole time. Is that the the wings are fast, and if they're not going to shoot the three, uh, they can still make plays, right? So by the time you're listening to this. This will either be a 3-1 Miami lead or the series will be back to 2-2. I think it goes back to 2-2, and I think the Celtics take this game. Um, they're, quote-unquote, on the road in Miami uh, or in Orlando against Miami. Um, I think they're going to take this because I think this is the game, this is the turning point where they figure out 
this Heat team because I don't think – I know that they expected, but I don't think they expected uh, what Miami was going to throw at them and that they would be as firing on all cylinders as much as they are. I, I was more discouraged by game two than I was by game one. I guess my co- – so, Joe, just before I kick over to Bobby, what was the combined total loss for the first two games for the Celtics? So they lost game one in overtime, 117-114, so yes. minus three. And they lost game two, 106-101, minus five. So it was a combined minus eight. But what you don't take into consideration there is that they were leading each game by at least 15 points going into the fourth quarter or so, at some point in time in the fourth quarter. So why – when does it come back to the conversation of – how do they fix their deficiencies coming out of the locker room in the third quarter? Bobby, so we, tell me. We, we, well, so, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not down there, and I'm not Brad Stevens. So, gosh, golly, gee, that's up to that guy. But he needs to figure that out and, and understand his own team and make that adjustment so that that doesn't happen because we saw it against the Raptors where they gave themselves a big enough halftime lead where they couldn't, they almost couldn't blow the lead in the third quarter. So I think that's where we're, we're, we're at right now where they need to dominate that first half. If they're going to let off the gas for whatever reason, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, and then come back in that fourth quarter, you're absolutely right. They blew the lead in the fourth quarter that that game won against Miami. But I mean, now we're talking about blowing that big of a lead and still only losing by three. I, I don't know. I, I get it, Mike. I, I understand where you're coming from um it would kind of be like the the cowboys going up five after coming back from from 19 down or and then blowing that lead so i i get it like grabbing the lead at the end and then giving it away but i think this game i'm gonna i'm gonna switch my take because i said celtics and five i'm going with mike celtics and seven bobby answer me this were the celtics playing that bad or the heat that good i think it's a little bit of both um I think the Heat are that good. I think that they're a great basketball team. They have playmakers galore across that team, whether it be uh, rookie Tyler Harrow, whether it be Goran Dragic, Celtic Killer himself, Tyler Johnson. They just have they have playmakers all over the court. And then you put Jimmy Butler in there, and it makes Pat Riley look like an absolute genius. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we're all overlooking and the thing that we've been overlooking, considering he wasn't even mentioned on the last show, is the was the absence of Gordon Hayward for those first two games. Um, I think he adds a completely different element to this team. Not only does he have the greatest mustache in the entire NBA, but he also brings strength and he also brings another added level of depth where you're not relying solely on guys like Gordon or like Marcus Smart. You're not relying solely on guys like Brad Wanamaker to give you significant minutes. All of a sudden, those four or five minutes where Wanamaker needed to play out of his mind are now filled by Gordon Hayward, who absolutely can stop Tyler Johnson, who absolutely can stop Jay Crider, who can be that guy who gets out on that extra man and makes that extra switch and stops, whether it be Jordan, but, uh, Jimmy Butler driving to the hole, um, whoever, the, whatever the case may be. Bobby, Gordon it, Hayward. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I sincerely mean to cut you off. Isn't, yeah, that, isn't that such a weak take? Like, haven't we been talking about the last month or so that we don't need Gordon Hayward anymore because we beat the Sixers, we beat the Raptors, who were the defending NBA champions. And now, now that we blew two double-digit leads, now we need Gordon Hayward. Well, I don't. I, hot take: Gordon Hayward's overrated. 
I, I, I don't disagree that he's overrated. I completely agree that he's overrated. The thing is, is missing him and having Wanamaker and Semi and these guys who don't belong on the court in the Why Eastern don't Conference Finals. Why, and, but, but this is team. Time, but but you, they don't belong over Gordon Hayward. Is what I'm saying. Is but like, Gordon Hayward can't stay healthy enough to belong on the court. But so, when he is on the court, it's a whole different animal. It's a whole different offense. It's a whole different defense. It's 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 just the way you play the game. Is instead of relying solely on Marcus Smart hitting five straight threes to win you a game, you you have someone else to go to. I'm not saying he's always <laughs> going to hit that extra shot. It's just the fact that like you're not putting those extra wear and tear on these guys that don't belong in the fucking Eastern Conference Finals. But who says Gordon Hayward does belong? He why, belongs why? over Semi and Brad Wanamaker. Well, I can why? tell you that. No, but why? Be- because because he's Gordon Hayward and he's got a max contract? Or because, or because he's proven that he can do something in the Conference Finals? Because it's about... I, I'm, I'm trying not to... To, to to hype Gordon Hayward up too much here. Because, but yeah, I think you already have. No, 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 because because just hear me out. When it comes to who would you trust? All right, so let's say it's it's 10 minutes left in the game, right? And you need to play seven players for the rest of the game and because those are your seven guys. Would you rather have Gordon Hayward be one of those guys relying on every single possession or would you rather have Semi Ojale or Brad Wanamaker in there? Can, it's can just I, a matter. Can, can I just chime in here real quick? Because it does sound to me uh bobby again that you're saying now that they lost because they didn't have gordon but if they win and have like they have one in the, in the prior two series they didn't have him either you, i mean you like you can't have it really both ways they can't lose because he's not there and win in spite of the fact that he's not there well i think you can have it both ways and not not to um spin my take on Gordon Hayward because I'm really not going to do that. I So here, here's my take on Gordon Hayward. I think he's overrated. I think he was brought in from a Utah team who we've seen it so many times in every sport, right, where guys come in and they can't handle the media pressure. They can't handle the big market team. Now, Gordon Hayward not only, I think, can't necessarily handle that, but he also – suffered a devastating injury, right? So now he we know he is in the 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 public eye. He's also Brad's boy, right? Like he he went to Butler, right? So he's Brad's dude. He gets the money, he comes here, he breaks his ankle. That's fine. I I'll I'll give him that. I'm not saying that Brad that Gordon Hayward isn't a good basketball player, but what I am saying is that if you put him out there in the Eastern Conference Finals right now without playing, he's not going to win you anything. He may not hurt you, but I'd rather have the guys that have been out there than have how many how many Conference Finals has Gordon Hayward played in? I don't think many. It's it's just the fact that him being out there gives that team more more swag having Gordon Hayward being able to come off the bench, having Gordon Hayward there as, as that reserve player, rather than someone like Brad Wanamaker or Semi Ojale. Like, I don't mean to keep going back to that, but it really is that big of a difference between, between a four coming off the bench and between a seven or an eight coming off the bench. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you that part. You know, it's just the fact that when it comes down to it, that extra 10, 15 minutes of legs that we need, that extra 
oomph, that extra jump shot, that extra stop that we need isn't going to be relied upon on these guys that are on the back ends of the bench. It's someone that that we believed in so much that we gave all these millions of dollars. And, and the fact that we believe in him so much is he's giving up seeing one of his kids being born. You know what I mean? Like, that's not happening unless you mean a lot to that team. And you know you mean a lot to that team. But, but so I really think that this is going to be the turnaround of this series. I think, like, I, I'm with you, Celtics and seven. And the reason of that is because Gordon Hayward coming back. I think Gordon Joe. Hayward loses them a game. I, I love that take. Two things here. Uh, one last question before uh, before we kind of uh, finish up here. But my, my one take is I told you Hayward was going to stay in the bubble if they played he well. And he did. That's so. That's why you can you can take my Detroit Lions take and take that to the bank. Number two, last question about the uh, about about the uh, about this. Did the Marcus Smart post game two meltdown? Yes, make the difference. I think so. I, I think it did because when you you know what's what's the old adage of you know like if I say something that offends Bobby and or pisses him off. And then we go out back, we have it out. We come back in, we're ready to go. Right. We're, you know, we piss each other off. We, yeah. we punch each other in the nose. We come back in, we're boys again. It's fine. So I, I think that's exactly what happened here. And I think Marcus smart was the guy to do that because I think uh, Bobby, you, you've said it is like, he's that heart and soul of the team right now. Right. So if you can keep that energy going, I think it's something that is going to lend uh, to the positive of this Celtics team going ahead in this series. But I, I don't want to harp on the Gordon Hayward thing, uh, but the Lions are not going to win the <laughs> NFC North. And Gordon Hayward is going to lose them again because how many times have we seen Gordon Hayward not play well? As many times have we, as we've seen him drop 30. Well, to your point, Joe, how many times have we not seen him play well in the Eastern Conference Finals? But that, but that's the point. We we haven't seen. You're right. We haven't seen him not play well in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I've also seen Semi Ojale and and Brad Wanamaker play in the Eastern Conference Finals. I've never seen someone spin a take like Mike Marcangelo. That shit. Did you read? <laughs> it's pure artistry, people. Pure effing artistry. You just took Gordon Hayward's not has never played an Easter Conference Finals game to, like, we've never seen him play bad in Easter Conference Finals yeah, I game. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I learned from you, dude. Adrian Peterson's averaging 93 yards per game. Final, a game. A game. <laughs> final takeaways from uh, from this week. Final word. We'll start with you, Joe. I, I really like this week in the NFL. Um, not because of the injuries. I think the injuries are devastating to the game. They're devastating to careers. So to that, my takeaway is – uh, you cannot get rid of preseason. You can't. You just can't do it. You have to play at least two games in the preseason. I I think four is too many. Uh, I think two may be not enough. We'll see next week. Let's see what happens next week in this in this league. Um, but when you have right now, when all eyes are on the NFL, and uh, you have Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa going down. That's a pro- Raheem Mostert. Still, I mean, he's up and coming, right? When you have those guys going down, there's a problem. On the flip side, I think the fact that the Patriots have not had any injuries lends to their preparation coming into the season. Uh, I cannot wait to get James White back as long as he does come back because I agree with Craig earlier in the show. If he's there, 
they probably win that game. They probably get into the end zone on that last play. It's probably not like a blowout in favor of the Patriots because that Seahawks team is legitimate. I think that Seahawks team will will compete for the Super Bowl uh, in the NFC. Uh, but I I really am so excited for every Sunday, uh, Thursday night. I, honestly, this Jacksonville-Miami game coming up tonight is going to be wild. Like, it's, it's Gardner Minshew. I just – Bobby, I think we both love him, even though you you swore me up and down on Sunday when we were talking about Gardner because you were having a moment <laughs> regarding Dak. I was, and the I was on another level. Yeah, okay. you were. That on wasn't me. Level. That wasn't That's me. For sure. So, but uh, no, I, I just I. I, I think um, right now, looking at the NFL, there needs to be preseason. We need to keep these guys on the field. They are investments. They are human beings. At the end of the day, uh, and it, it means it means so much to the league and to the fans and to them as human beings to stay on the field and, and make a living uh, doing their job. And uh, the last thing I'll say, um, and, and I know we talked about it uh, beforehand, um, go vote, register to vote, find out where you can vote, um, regardless of who you're voting for or what your vote is going to be on the questions, go vote, go register. Um, it, it is, it is your right to do so. Um, and we hope that everybody comes out November 3rd to vote again, however you're going to vote. That's not our business. Couldn't agree more. Bobby, your final, uh, final thoughts or takeaways. So before I get to my final thoughts and takeaways, Joe, your, your NFL injuries take, I think is so spot on. Um, I think when it comes to simulating NFL game speed, doing so at a full 60 minutes at once all of a sudden is what is causing all of this. You see it with game two, game three in the NFL preseason. They do it 20 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time, 45 minutes at a time. As soon as they go to 60 minutes without doing anything else, you're seeing all these soft tissue injuries. So I I couldn't agree with that more. Um, My biggest takeaway for everything when it comes to the NFL, NBA, is that it's more likely for Gordon Hayward to win the NBA Finals MVP than it is for the Detroit Lions to win the NFC North. Neither yep. one of those things will happen. But I'm just saying, it's Vegas. more likely. If you were to go to Vegas and you were to put bets down right now on N- NBA Finals MVP and Detroit Lions winning the NFC North, if you put it down a dollar on each, I promise you, you win more off the Lions winning the NFC North. Oh, and yeah, no absolutely. The, the odds would be mon- you're absolutely Probably at the right. beginning of the season, you would have won more. Craig, your final uh, words or takeaways. So I'll make this short and sweet. Uh, I would like to congratulate the Boston Red Sox uh, and our token Red Sox talk for the minute or baseball talk for the minute. They have led in two major categories. The season's over. It'll be uh, about three games left in the schedule by the time this gets published. But the Red Sox have led the major leagues in two major categories. They Tonight with Nick Pavetta, on Tuesday, starting for the Red Sox, this will be their 16th starting pitcher for the regular season. And number two, they now lead the league in home attendance with a grand total of one. That's right. <laughs> Climbing the green monster and up into the TV bay and just absolutely losing their mind. You saw a live breakdown on live national television this past weekend if you're in the Boston market. It was Amazing. That was beautiful. Yeah, awesome. I gotta I, I can't believe that six sixteen starting pitchers in a sixty game season. Uh, Mike said it long before the season, like right before the season started, that John Henry might know that all this was coming. I I, I don't like John Henry. 
I, I just I can't I can't get over it that they threw away a sixty game season. I'm just telling you. Are you getting emotional again, Joe? No, no, that was actually. (laughs) Based on what you guys just said, I was right about uh, the Red Sox. I was right about what what was. uh, Oh, Gordon. You're not right about the Lions. You're not right. Could could be right about the. uh, I saw it coming. You're wrong. But my uh, my biggest takeaway uh, is uh, it's this is still LeBron's league. It doesn't matter. If Larry Bird is on the Celtics in his prime, we're not beating the Lakers this year with that with that supporting cast he has. So the Lakers are going to win the NBA Finals, and I don't I, I just don't understand how anyone could have a dissenting opinion. LeBron is still the man, and an old wrestling adage, Joe. I know that you're kind of twisting in your chair here. To be the man, you got to beat the man, and nobody is beating that man. But the, that that man has been beat. Not this year. Not this year, but he's been beat. He's he can't decide what team he wants to be on because every time they figure it out, they there's so much dissension in the next two years that he has to leave again. So what's he going to do? Also, after he wins in L.A. and then never wins again. Real quick, can uh, but can you name one star NBA player? Not 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 just like a like a bench warmer, but a star NBA player that has won a championship for three teams. Well, uh, no, I can't because no one's done it. LeBron's about to. Well, but we can't get people in trouble for things they haven't done yet. Well, you can get me in trouble for this. LeBron is about to do it. Um, so, obviously you – know, uh, You know what? Uh, Gordon Hayward for finals MVP. Yeah, great. We well, you know, obviously, you know, thank you guys so much for, for listening. For Broadway Joe Malkin, <laughs> Real BK Bob Kelly, I am your host, uh, Michael Marcangelo. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 8 of the SNSW Podcast. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for listening to Episode 8 of the SNSW Podcast. I am Craig D'Alessandro, Executive Producer of the SNSW Network. The SNSW Podcast is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. If you're new to the show or you haven't yet, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and wherever you generally get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. And be sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. All of our links will be in the bottom of the show notes. For Michael Marcangelo, Bob Kelly, and Joe Malkin, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. We'll talk to you next time. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators 
trying to remember when we were cool. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Electric acid.